0: Let's take our Bibles this afternoon, and we're going to turn to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 4. Excuse me. Mark chapter 4, and let's begin reading from verse 1. Mark chapter 4, verse 1. It says, And he began again to teach by the seaside and there was gathered unto him a great multitude so that he entered into a ship and sat down in the sea <clears throat> and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land and he taught them many things by parables and said unto them in his doctrine let's have a word of prayer <clears throat> lord and we father we thank you for this most wonderful day we thank you lord that we can uh, come apart and spend time together as a body of believers we thank you lord for uh, the opportunity to uh, spend time in your word and we pray lord that you would uh, just teach us and instruct us this afternoon lord i pray you help us to uh, be alert and ready to receive i pray lord that you would empower me now through the spirit <clears throat> and give me wisdom and guidance as i speak that lord it would be your words and your thoughts that you'd have your will and your way in each of us today and we pray lord that uh, your name will be honored glorified and praised and we pray these things in jesus name amen now of course we finished our study in the book of genesis last sunday and i've been praying for some time as to what to preach on next and where the lord would have me to go and i had a few ideas that i was tossing around and praying about and there was one that just kept coming back to my mind and and i felt that obviously that was the the leading of the lord as i continue to pray this week and so we're going to do a study on the parables of our lord we're going to spend some time looking at uh, at his teachings his parables now when our lord came to earth he spent three years preaching and teaching uh, the people and a lot of that teaching was done in the form of parables that was one of the main methods that he used, as we just read there in uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 2, it says, And he taught them many things by parables. This was one of his main forms of teaching. And his use of parables was actually the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Uh, Just turn over to Matthew chapter 13 with me. In Matthew chapter 13 and verse 34, Matthew 13 verse 34 says all these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables and without a parable spake he not unto them that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet saying I will open my mouth in parables I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world so his use of parables was also the fulfillment of prophecy it says there in verse 35 there that it might be f- the, might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet saying I will open my mouth in Parables. This is a, a quote from Psalm 78 and verse 2 where we read those those words I'll open my mouth in a parable and So in the fulfillment of prophecy Christ used parables as an essential part of his teaching ministry but you know what exactly is a parable well there are two Greek words translated parable in the New Testament, and the most common and most frequently used word is the word parabole, uh, which of course is exactly where we get our word parable from. Okay, we've taken the Greek word parabole and we have transliterated it into the English language. And so that's where we get that word from. And this Greek word appears 50 times in the New Testament. And the primary meaning of this word is a placing beside with a view to comparison. Okay, a placing beside with a view to comparison. And this comparison can be given in a number of ways. Thayer writes that it can be a saying. In other words, it can be a pithy instructive saying involving some likeness or comparison. He says it also can take the form of a similitude a comparison of one thing with another, a likeness or similitude. And then finally, a parable can be in the form of a story, a narrative fictitious but agreeable to the laws and usages of human life by which either the duties of men or the things of God are figuratively betrayed. And so Thalia tells us that a parable can either be a saying, a similitude or a story. You can take one of those three Forms. and of course it's the story parables that we're most familiar with isn't it you know and when, when someone says to us you know the, the parables of Christ we immediately think of these earthly stories with a heavenly meaning that's immediately what we think of when we say the parables of our Lord but you know Christ used many sayings and similitudes as well uh, in his teaching and these are just as as important as the story parables so in this series, the, the plan is to look at a selection of Christ's parables from all three of these forms. And we're going to begin by looking at some of the same uh, parables that Christ gives us. And we want to begin this afternoon by looking at a parable that uh, is found in all three of the Synoptic Gospels. It's found in Matthew, Mark and Luke. They're the Synoptic Gospels and it's found in all three of them. And so turn with me to Matthew chapter 9 as our main text uh, this afternoon Matthew chapter 9 and let's begin reading from verse uh, 9 Matthew chapter 9 verse 9 it says and Jesus uh, sorry and as Jesus passed forth from thence he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom he saith unto him follow me and he arose and followed him and it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house Behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that behold, uh, they that behold, sorry, need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance and so the parable we want to consider this afternoon is found there in verse 12 they that be whole need not a physician but they that are sick that's the parable we want to consider this afternoon and so let's consider first of all the setting uh, of the parable the setting of the parable just read again with me verse 9 it says and as jesus passed forth from thence he saw a man named matthew sitting at the receipt of custom And he saith unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. The events leading up to Christ giving us this short parable saying, events leading up to this begin here in verse 9 with Matthew being called by our Lord to follow him as one of his disciples. Now in the parallel passages of Mark and Luke, this same man is called Levi. Just quickly turn to Mark chapter 2. We'll just turn and read uh, what mark has to say mark chapter 2 <clears throat> and verse 14 it says and as he passed by he saw Levi the son of Alphaeus sitting at the receipt of custom and saith unto him follow me and he arose and followed him and so in mark and then also in Luke he's called Levi and it's clear that these are the the same events recorded in all three of the the gospels and so this man had Uh, two names okay which was common among the jews matthew and levi or maybe he changed his name was changed to matthew later on okay but of course when we think of the the 12 disciples we always think of matthew don't we okay we don't talk about levi okay and so his name mainly was matthew okay as we find recorded here in matthew chapter 9 but in any cases these events begin we see matthew sitting at the receipt of custom in other words he's sitting at the tax office And we know he's there because that's his place of employment. Matthew was a tax collector. And of course, tax collectors were one of the most hated uh, people in all of Israel. It was a hated, despised profession. You know, they were seen as being traitors, as being extortioners. One commentator wrote this, he said, The Jewish people considered them traitors because they worked for the Roman government and had the force of Roman soldiers behind them to make people pay taxes. They also considered them extortioners because they could keep whatever they over-collected. And so it's for these two reasons that they were uh, hated by the people, okay? Because they were seen to uh, be on the side of the Romans. They were traitors to their own people and they were extortioners. They were taking advantage of their own people. And so tax collectors were despised. They were hated and Matthew is one of them. And so effectively, it tells us that Matthew is an outcast from society, isn't he? He's an outcast. He's not welcome among his own people. And he was even denied entry into the synagogues, the places of worship. The tax collectors were denied entry, not allowed to come and worship the Lord. You know, here we see this man who was so despised and rejected by society. We see that he is noticed by our Lord. And in love, the Lord calls him to follow him. As we read there in verse 9, it says, As Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom, and he saith unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. Now the Lord sees Matthew, and he calls unto him, and he says, Follow me. And, immediate, and we see that Matthew's response is immediate, isn't it? It says that he arose and followed him. There's There's no hesitation here. He arises, he leaves his his table, the receipt of custom, and he answers the call of our Savior. And in Luke's gospel, we're we're given an idea, an indication as to how great a sacrifice this was for him to make. Luke chapter 5, let's just turn there. In Matthew chapter 5, Verse 27 It says, and after these things he went forth and saw a publican named Levi. Seeing at the receipt of custom, and he said, and said, sorry, and he said unto him, Follow me. And he left all, rose up, and followed him. Notice the words at the start of verse 28 and he left all. Luke tells us that he left all. In other words, he forsook everything about his, his previous life, the profession that he was in. He left all. He forsook it all to follow the Lord. This was a, a, an immense sacrifice for Matthew to make. You know, one commentator noted that unlike some of the other disciples who were fishermen and could easily return to their occupations, a tax collector who abandoned his position could not later return unto it. And so this was a, a massive decision for Matthew to make. I mean, it was for all the disciples, but for Matthew especially to rise up and to leave this behind, this form of income which made him wealthy, he left it all behind, to follow the Lord. It demanded great sacrifice and yet without hesitation he leaves all and follows Christ. You know, the fact that Matthew responded so readily to the call here tells us something about his heart, doesn't it? It tells us that the Lord knew Matthew's heart, knew that his heart was soft and that he was ready to receive the call know, when we read this in Matthew and Mark and Luke, it seems rather abrupt, doesn't it? You know, you almost get the impression the Lord's just walking along and he sees Matthew and he calls Matthew to follow him. And there's, there's no indication that Matthew and Christ have had any dealings before this. But evidently, Matthew had been listening to Christ's ministry, hadn't he? He'd, he'd heard what Christ was teaching. He'd seen the Lord going around and healing. He'd seen the Lord's ministry. And Matthew is searching, and the Lord knows this. The Lord knows Matthew's heart. And so in love, he calls unto Matthew to follow him. You know, after Matthew answers the call, he invites the Lord and the disciples into his home for a meal. Matthew says there in uh, verse 10, it says, And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples you know matthew is very humble here and doesn't tell us that this meal took place in his house in his home but luke does just turn quickly to luke chapter 5 and verse 29 <clears throat> luke chapter 5 verse 28 as we read before it says and he left all rose up and followed him and levi matthew Made him a great feast in his own house, and there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. And so Luke makes it clear that this this feast is actually thrown by Matthew. He invites the Lord, he invites the disciples back into his own home, and Matthew also invites friends from his old life to come along as well, doesn't he? He invites other publicans to join them at this feast. As we read there in verse 10, it says, Many publicans and sinners came and sat down with Christ and his disciples. Now, what we see here is that Matthew already has a burden for souls, doesn't he? He already has a burden for souls and a burden for his friends, for his colleagues, these ones who he'd spent much time around. He wants them to know the Savior just like he had come to know the Lord. You know, Matthew understood that the Lord had come to seek and to save sinners those that were lost and so he calls them to come and to hear the savior in his own home and you know it's wonderful to see a new convert with such a passion for souls isn't it it always is it's always wonderful to meet someone who's just recently saved and to hear their passion for the lost and we see that here with matthew one commentator wrote this matthew knew well what their souls needed for he had been one of them he desired to make them acquainted with that Saviour who had been merciful to him. Having been graciously delivered from the bondage of sin, he wished others also to be set free. And so Matthew here exhibits the heart of God, doesn't he? The heart of God. He has, he has a passion for the lost, an earnest desire that they would experience the same grace and mercy that he had found from the Lord. He understood their need. You know, sadly, the Pharisees, of course, they didn't see the need of the sinners, did they? And that's our second point this afternoon. We see the contempt of the Pharisees. The contempt of the Pharisees. Look there in verse uh, verse 11. It says "And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? Now, the Pharisees observed this feast taking place, and they are immediately appalled by what they witness, by what they see taking place. You know, to them, this was a disgraceful act. You know, that this was something that in their mind, a religious leader, a religious teacher should never do. Butler writes this, The traditional separation practices of the Pharisees prompted their contempt. These religious leaders were not interested in reaching sinners to convert them, their interest was to stand aloof from them in a holier-than-thou attitude, which reeked of religious pride. That Christ would eat with publicans shocked all the prejudices of the time. You see, Christ's actions here shocked the Pharisees. It went against everything that a religious leader would be seen to do. You know, To them, a religious leader should never associate with sinners. And yet Christ here chose to sit and enjoy a meal with them, which was a sign of fellowship and friendship with them. And so the Pharisees, this is a scandal. And in verse 11, we see their contempt as they question the Lord's actions and they question it to the disciples, don't they? Okay, verse 11 again. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners the pharisees approach the disciples they don't go to the lord directly they go to his disciples and they voice their bitterness their contempt for what christ has done unto them and they question they say why eateth your master with publicans and sinners you know this is a question that's full of disdain for christ's actions and it's also a rebuke of the disciples it's rebuking them for following such a person you know it's as if the pharisees said shame on you for accepting this man as your teacher that's really what they're doing here they're saying shame on you why would you ever follow such a man you know it's an attempt to get the disciples to doubt the lord to doubt the one that they're following to doubt the one they called master you know in mark's gospel the question is phrased a little different and it further emphasizes their contempt for Christ's actions just turn to mark chapter 2 <clears throat> mark 2 and verse 16 it says and when the when the scribes and pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners they said unto his disciples how is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners we see those words, how is it? How is it? And essentially what they're saying is, how can someone who claims to be sent from God sit and have a meal with publicans and sinners? How is it? How can he do such a thing? You know, this whole response from the Pharisees is born out of their legalistic pride, isn't it? That's where it came from. You know, they were so concerned with their own outward appearance of righteousness that they would never be seen to do such a thing. Because it would taint that picture, wouldn't it? It would taint that picture they had before others, before men. You know, this was something that Christ would later rebuke the Pharisees for time and time again throughout his ministry, isn't it? For their pride, their religious pride, their hypocrisy. You know, he summed up their legalistic pride in Luke chapter 18. Just quickly turn there. Luke chapter 18 and verse 10. It says, Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. I mean, that sums up there, Legalistic pride, doesn't it? Religious pride. You know, I thank God that I'm not like these sinners. I'm so much better. I'm so much more righteous, more holy than they are. They thought themselves to be holier than anyone else, and therefore they would never associate with someone who was not holy in their sights, not holy according to their standards. That was the standard, wasn't it? Not God's, it was their standards. And so they refuse to associate with these kind of people. And so we hear them voice their contempt here unto Christ's disciples. And it's in verse 12 we we see that Christ, after he has heard the Pharisees' contempt, it's then that Christ responds with this parable about the physician. So let's consider thirdly this afternoon Christ's response or the response of Christ. To the Pharisees. Verse 12 it says, But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know, the Pharisees had essentially questioned Christ's holiness, hadn't they? They questioned his holiness they question his credentials as a teacher you know how can your master ever do this how can someone called by god do this and so christ had to respond to the criticism didn't he and he does he responds here he answers his critics with a well-known parable or proverb if you like declaring they that are whole need not a physician but they that are sick you know, it's immediately clear that in this parable Christ is the physician and the sick, of course, are the publicans and the sinners. He's putting himself into this parable. Okay? He's the physician and they are the sick. And Christ vindicates his actions here by pointing out that as the, the physician of the souls of men, his place is with those who need it, sinners, those who are sick. You know, if you're the physician, then you need to be with the sick and be able to help them, to take care of them. And he points that out here to the Pharisees. You know, Christ had previously taught that this was his purpose on earth. Luke chapter 4. <clears throat> Luke 4. <clears throat> Luke chapter 4 and verse 18. <clears throat> it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and, recover, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Christ had previously taught the fact that he was the physician The souls of men, he he taught the fact that he came to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to give sight unto the blind. And it's not just physical sight, it's spiritual sight, spiritual healing. That's what Christ came to do, to to heal men spiritually. As one uh, one commentator sorry, wrote this, he said, As the physician of souls, he was deeply conscious of the disease gripping those with whom he ate. But he was seeking to carry out his mission as their healer. For Jesus to refuse to associate with sinners would have been as foolish as for a doctor not to associate with the sick. You see, Christ makes it clear here that as the physician of souls, he was exactly where he needed to be. He was ministering to those who needed him. Sinners, those who were sick. And Christ then backs up this parable with a very clear statement of his mission in verse 13. Verse 13, the Lord goes on, he says, But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Christ makes it very clear that he came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, yeah, that's a wonderful truth, isn't it? That's a wonderful truth. Christ came for sinners. Now, this is the only requirement to receive his healing, is that we have to realize we're a sinner, we're, we're sick. We have to recognize our need and come to him in faith. One commentator noted this. He said, This parable gives great consolation to sinners who desire forgiveness of their sins. It is the devil's practice to get the convicted sinner to think that his or her sin will prevent Christ from saving them. But the parable says just the opposite. The qualification for Christ's redemptive work is being a sinner. It's a wonderful truth, isn't it? You know, the devil would love us to think, oh, my sin's too great, I can't come to the Lord. It's the very opposite. It's because we're sinners, because we're sick, that we can come to Him for healing. Christ is the physician of souls and He will not turn away anyone who is sick with sin. He has the answer and He is ready to aid all who will call upon Him. You know, sadly, the self-righteous, like the Pharisees, cannot see their need. You know, they're they're the righteous ones here, the ones who don't see that they need what Christ has to offer. They're self-righteous. They don't see that they need the physician. It's for this reason that Christ came, not to call the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. He didn't come to call those who are self-righteous who think they don't need him. He came to call those who are sinners, those who recognize their sin. Recognize they need his healing that he has to offer. Now, with this response, Christ has very clearly and effectively answered the criticism of the Pharisees. But not only that, Christ has also rebuked the Pharisees, for their attitude as well. You know, as the religious leaders of the day, they should have known better. As the religious leaders of the day, the ones who claim to be teaching God's word, they should have been looking at the sinners and seeing their need. They should have been looking at the publicans and sinners and seeing their need instead of treating them like someone who had the plague to be avoided. They should have been seeking to show mercy and love unto them as God had commanded. You see, the, the, the Pharisees' eyes were only on themselves. Their only concern was their outward righteousness. Their only concern was their conformity to a list of rules that they thought made them holy in the sight of God. You know, their separation from everything that was deemed unclean, and that included people you see the pharisees had no love no mercy no compassion for the lost no love no mercy in their heart and christ made it clear that this was not what god desired and he does so with a quote from hosea at the start of verse 13. the start of verse 13 there it says but go ye and learn what that meaneth i will have mercy and not sacrifice The words, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, are a quote from Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6. And Christ quotes this verse and he tells them, he says, but go ye and learn what that meaneth, or what meaneth. The word that's not there, okay. But go ye and learn what meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. He says, go and learn what that means. Go and learn what Hosea chapter 6 verse 6 means. You see, in Hosea's day, the people were guilty of keeping sacrifice. They went through the motions. They kept the ceremonial law. And they thought it would make them right before God. But at the same time, their actions towards one another were devoid of any love and compassion. When you read through Hosea, that was the problem. Yeah, they went up to the temple. They were keeping sacrifice. But they had no love, no concern, no compassion for their fellow man. They treated each other terribly. You know Their actions towards one another did not reflect their claim of faith in God, their claim of a relationship with God. And so as a result, God rebuked the people, declaring that He would rather mercy than sacrifice. Or as one commentator put it, God declares, I am more pleased with acts of benevolence and kindness than with a mere external compliance. With the duties of religion. You see, that was the Pharisees, wasn't it? It was an external compliance to the duties of religion, but there was no compassion, no love, no mercy in their hearts for their fellow man. They were simply obsessed with keeping the law and they had no heart for the people. And, beloved, we must be careful that we ourselves do not become like the Pharisees, that we don't become devoid of love and mercy for those who are in need. You know, we must follow the example set by our Savior. Now, Christ here teaches us so clearly that we are to have a passion for souls, a passion for the lost. We are to seek to show them their sin and show them their need of the Savior before it is eternally too late. You know, we have the answer to their sin problem, don't we? We have the cure for this terrible disease that's sending mankind to hell. We have the cure the gospel message and like Christ we must take that message unto those who need it unto the sick so they might be called to repentance now of course at the same time we understand we are called to a life of separation from the world aren't we you know second corinthians chapter 6 verse 17 we know it well it says wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate saith the lord and touch not the unclean thing and so we know we're called to a a life that is sanctified. We are called a life of separation from the world, to be holy as He is holy. That's true. But as Christ teaches us here, that does not mean that we are to have a holier-than-thou attitude. Instead, like Christ, we are to have a burden for the lost. And, beloved, we are to look for those opportunities to show God's mercy, show God's love unto the lost. Share with them the gospel. Love, we need to pray that God would give us a passion for souls like our Savior. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord and Emily, Father, we thank you for your word this afternoon. And we thank you, Lord, for the teaching of our Lord. And Lord, may we learn the, the truth of this parable, Lord, the truth of Hosea chapter 6. and Lord, may we realize, Lord, that you don't just want us to conform to a list of rules. You don't want us just to... Uh, uh, set ourselves apart from everyone else you want us lord to seek to win the lost lord may you give us opportunities and may we seek to take them may we have a passion for souls and lord may we uh, bring others to you before it's eternally too late Lord, bless as we close and we pray these things in jesus name number 306 as we close 306.